everyone, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of the Control System Cybersecurity Association International, or as we call it, just CSE. CSE is a 501c6 nonprofit workforce development association dedicated to helping grow, support, and sustain the professionals charged with the cybersecurity of control systems. We're specifically talking about those systems that have pumps and valves and actuators, real cyber to physical moving parts, and control nearly every aspect of our modern connected industries. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. It's my hope you find it inspirational or motivating or revealing or informative, and perhaps at times even a little entertaining. Take care and be well. Hi, this is Derek Harp, founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I have another industry legend on today, uh, actually for the not for the first time. He is episode 61. If you want to hear his personal journey, his biography uh, story, he, we did that. And that is episode 61 that's out there. But Joe Weiss is back, a managing partner at Applied Control Solutions, LLC, well-known in the industry, uh, probably one of the longest standing, probably could stand there amongst a very couple of people and say, I've been working on this and talking about this uh, longer than anyone else can can claim. And long tenure at, at well-known organizations, including APRI, and probably the owner or the, uh, the organizer of the largest database of incidents. Um, I have to borrow from Paul Simon. There were incidents and accidents. There were hints and allegations. Uh, it is tough. And I think, you know, you're going to talk about it. It's, it's tough what people say has happened and hasn't happened and attribution. And this thing happened. Was it a cyber incident? Was it not? And so it'll be, uh, I think, very interesting. I know, obviously, some of what your uh, data you've collected, you and I've talked about it, but we're going to have listeners who are not aware of your work and your your research. So I think this will be very interesting. Joe, welcome back to the show, and uh, thank you for the decades of service to uh, to all of us. Derek, thank you for having me. Let's talk about hints and allegations and incidents. You've been tracking this sort of thing, and you have uh, a database can you give a little history? Because I know you pull stories and data from that, factoids. But what's the story of the database? When did you start it and how long? Yeah, let me. So there were actually two, if you will, periods in terms of all of this. I got into cyber in 2000. In the late 90s, early 2000s, I was at EPRI, the Electric Power Research Institute. And I was running the nuclear instrumentation and diagnostics program. This is before there was ever such a thing as cyber. Okay. And we were trying to eliminate some of the testing on nuclear safety sensors and also come up with a way of having sensor health monitoring. I left EPRI in 2002, went to a company called Kima which ironically was the EPRI of the Netherlands. It's since subsequently been bought by DNV. And they had tried to put together a cybersecurity conference and it didn't, it fell flat. So they asked if I could do it. So I held our first, and by the way, this was the first anywhere in every single other conference, whether it's S4, ICS, JWG, Sands, every one of them was built on what I started. And that was held end of July, beginning of August, 2002. And I held it in Vancouver, BC, because NERC had a meeting there. So I tried to dovetail, okay? Well, I had sent the invites out to everybody I knew, but those were the engineering types. I didn't know anybody on the IT side, okay? And three organizations showed up I didn't invite. 
the National Transportation Safety Board, the Idaho National Lab, and a utility from Southeast Asia. Well, it turns out NTSB was there because they were finalizing the report of the Bellingham-Washington Olympic pipeline rupture that, yes, oh, by the way, was cyber. Idaho was there. Again, this is before the SCADA testbed started. And in fact, that's how I, that was my introduction to actually helping Idaho start the SCADA testbed. And then the third I mentioned was a utility from Southeast Asia. Again, my database is not public because things like this that aren't public. But it turns out that utility showed up. I didn't know them at all. They had had multiple control system cyber incidents, and one had taken out 10% of the generation of their country. So I'm going, wait a minute. Well, it was a successful conference. We had 125 or 150 people. So my boss says, gee, we got to do it again. So the next one was in uh, Denver in April 2003. I was doing work at the time for Navy Mission Assurance in Dahlgren, Virginia. You're probably familiar with it. Yep. And of all things, I was working on EMP, electromagnetic pulse. Well, when I was still EPRI, I went out to, to Sandia to see about putting money in because they said they had a SCADA test bed, which they did not. I had gone to several others. And, you know, NIST had a small little toy one. So at the conference in 2003, I had invited Dahlgren because they had a test range, Idaho, Sandia, PNNL, and NIST to all talk about why they should have been the SCADA test bed. Well, the first two slides that Dahlgren gave, this is on Navy letterhead, official in this meeting that's public, okay, there's, was a destroyer was coming into the port of San Diego. They had not turned off their high power pulse radar systems. Again, this is probably something you're familiar with. I remember the checklist. Yes, we. Uh, we had to get certain things turned off at certain ranges before we got, uh, you know, got yep. into civilian populations and civilian air control and all those sorts of things. Yeah, a big no-no. They leave those things on for sure. Yeah. So guess what? They had inadvertently left it on, and that destroyer took out San Diego Gas and Electric and the San Diego Water Authority SCADA system. The second slide, Navy letterhead. They were doing pulse radar testing in Europe. They blew up a 36-inch pipeline. Now, that is why the title of my book is called Protecting Industrial Control Systems from Electronic Threats. This is not just the 12-year-old pimply-faced hacker playing games on Windows. Or, again, what the traditional OT world is doing. Okay? The conference ended up, you know, again, I sold it in 2014, I think, or or 15 to uh, Security Week. But it was the only conference anywhere where people who actually had their control systems impacted by cyber would speak. And they were always the engineers. 
they and they spoke because they wanted to know has anybody else seen this stuff so again starting you know collecting data from all over when i would give presentations at conferences i would give examples you know that i would have in my presentation almost every single time i had at least one if not two or three people come up and say i had the same thing that happened and i didn't know why okay and the database just kept growing to start with i was in a sense trying to group them so if i thought they were kind of similar i counted them as one and then i realized in the it world they count each incident of things happening and that's when i changed and say okay wait a minute we had literally in some cases millions of cases and they were individual and so people kept saying well wait a minute how did you jump from thousands to millions because i no longer counted what you know a general incident as one when it affected and we're talking about for example the individual controllers in each of these if you will locations in that count then uh, joe a company could have there could be many different some of that statistic that there could be depending on the exposure of that company how yeah. many places they have it they could be counted as multiple num- numerical yeah okay but in my case most of what i was counting not wasn't so much from the company but from the actual users of the yeah. technology okay so some could be at the same company but others would be at other places but they in aggregate have... in aggregate everybody who had that particular it's yeah again jumping ahead for a minute the cases come from all over the world quite honestly most come from the us why cuz i have more contacts and see more things here it isn't that there's more things happening here than elsewhere okay it's just i don't know if you want to say more public or because the other thing i'm not trolling the internet looking for things things just happen to hit me okay okay sales pitch time there is no training today for identifying control system cyber incidents i'm trying to put something together in fact stevens institute you know in new jersey has their maritime cyber center again you you've been doing okay and i'm putting together a class it should be up on their website fairly soon that's going to deal with control system cyber and what i'm going to do which is different is i'm going to take a whole bunch of cases so the morning is going to be kind of you know death by powerpoint general stuff and the afternoon is going to be taking real cases and basically asking people why do you think this shooter shouldn't be identified as being cyber okay now let me also deviate for a second and start talking about what is cyber okay first of all and this is also in this micro learning module i'm doing for isa the term cybernetic actually came from steam turbines that term obviously got morphed and totally completely you know turned inside out 
But the definition of a cyber incident is, and this is given by NIST, by ISA, by GAO, etc. A, a cyber incident is electronic communication between systems or systems and people, in other words, an operator display, that affects C, I, or A. Okay. Now, it's an IT definition because you don't see the word or the letter S for safety. But the other point is, it deliberately doesn't use the word malicious. Okay. Doesn't have to be malicious. It's electronic communication between systems that affects C, I, or A in an in the control system world, generally C is irrelevant. The only time C is relevant really is for meters. Okay. For control systems, C is totally irrelevant. Yeah. If anybody listening doesn't know confidentiality is the C. It we you know, I've heard people rearrange the letters sometimes for OT yeah, IC and things like that. Yeah, but see, here's the other point there too. CIA was really there for data not for impacts. So when they were talking about availability, they're talking about availability for data. I'm talking about availability of a facility or an availability of a pipeline, you know, or the availability of a train to run, okay? Integrity is the integrity of the measurement, okay? So even though you see, say, CIRA in the control system world, I and A are different than I and A if you're talking in IT world or, quote, OT world, because there it's only worried about data, okay? It's not worried about, gee, did the pipe burst? You just lost availability, you know, or gee. That's pretty key going back to what you said is the incident is malicious is removed. So the incident causality could be, lots of different things could have caused this, but it happened. Yes. Now, next point, prior to Stuxnet, because there's a lot of confusion between control system cyber, incident control system cyber security incident, okay? Prior to Stuxnet, a control system cyber incident would be, quote unquote, an unintentional thing. You know, somebody put in the wrong set point or changed this, that, or whatever. Okay. A control system cyber security incident would be something like Marucci in Australia. You know, the, the, the disgruntled system integrator, you know, hacked the water, you know, the uh, sewage discharge valves. Okay. What changed everything was Stuxnet. Why? Because for the first time, you had a sophisticated attacker making a cyber attack look like an equipment malfunction. And so all of a sudden, we no longer could say, was it a cyber incident or a cybersecurity incident? Don't matter what anybody's telling you, we don't have the forensics to do that. The only time is if it's occurred on an OT network. But if it's at a sensor, an actuator, a drive, or even within design features of equipment, we don't really have that capability. Yeah. This is part of why I'm going to be teaching that course or, or others. This is not, okay. You the can point, know that it happened. It's binary. But who and why and not there. 
That's right. I'll give you another example. The 2008 Florida outage. This took out half the state of Florida for eight hours. It was 100% control system cyber. It was caused by a Florida Power and Light engineer sent out to the substation. So everything about this was, if you will, trusted. Da, 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 da. The point being, everything this engineer did made absolutely positively no sense. Everything he did was totally and completely out of any reasonable way to do things. So the question becomes, was it malicious? Ergo, he had a bad hair day and he deliberately did the following. Or was it, oops, you know, maybe stupid, but it's still oops. Unintentional, malicious. The only difference, motivation. Okay. That's not the only time. I mean, we had a, a um, basically a, a beverage operation where somebody inside basically changed the uh, lubrication frequency, you know, for the roller bearings. Ended up burning all of the roller bearings that shut everything down. What did the plant manager say? Gee, with, you know, with, with problems like this internally, who cares about a hacker? Automatically thinking if it was internal, it wasn't malicious. Okay. So there's a lot of things going on here that normally don't get brought up at all. You know, because what are you doing? You're, you know, you've got all of these threat hunters looking for, you know, the latest term of art for some hacker game. You know, and they've got all of this wonderful technology looking to find out, have networks been impacted? Okay, now, fair warning, next commercial. I just was on a um, DOE Small Business Innovative Research Project. It was a phenomenal project. And it, what, it, what it was doing was something nobody else was doing. It was trying to predict if somebody was able to hack into the networks, mathematically, could we predict where they would go next? Isn't that something that actually came out of the Ballistic Missile Office? And here's another thing that we've found in phase one, and, and truth be told, we didn't get awarded phase two, even though I'm going to tell you the next part. When we did our literature survey on phase one to say, who's been doing this work on predicting where the hacker will go next? Do you know who, at least from the open literature, had done the most work of anybody? Iran. Amazing what happens after Stuxnet, isn't it? Yeah. And like I say, for what it's worth, phase two was not awarded. Can't answer. But this part of where all of the story is coming from is this is the real stuff that's out there that's not being addressed by anybody. You know, our annual, to corroborate one aspect of what you just shared, our annual study 
the clear winner when we ask people to sort of rank their what they believe their threat adversaries are. The clear winner are non-malicious insiders, like by an order of magnitude. Well, here's what got me with my database. Before, again, all of this started, I would have thought that the unintentional would be 90% of my database. It turns out the malicious is probably 90%. Very different. That, and that's right? number two in our list of perceived threat adversaries was malicious insiders. Non-malicious and malicious. Malicious was number two, for sure. Nation states, whatever, was smaller. Well, in, in this case, part of what you're talking about was not a nation state, but major manufacturers. Very different. You know, again, I remember... Eric Byers, you know, when he put out his recent reports, would would basically come up with all of these probabilities and telling no. And I never did that because I remember once when he was talking about water, they went from one year, I think it was from seven to nine. Well, percentage-wise, that was a huge increase. So in his database, he was talking about this huge increase. Well, they went from seven to nine. Well, here you're talking you know, huge number. And these are very, very malicious. And not only that, these are going directly at the controllers themselves. And this is not using any IP networks whatsoever. You know, the blog I told you, I'm getting ready to put out. This is literally weeks old. A large data center was shut down, maybe for an hour or so. This is a major data center. And what had happened was there was a voltage dip. Somehow, all of the backup power didn't mitigate that voltage dip. And I don't know if you or you may, but I think a lot of your listeners may not be aware of what a chiller motor is. A chiller motor could be the size of a house. This is basically the refrigeration unit, if you will, in a data center that's required to keep the temperatures at a you know preset level so you don't have to shut them down because there's so much heat generated inside that data center. Okay. And in this case, there were five chiller motors. And what happened was, following the voltage dip, none of the chiller motors started up because the signal never got to the motors. Now, control system cyber, period. Electronic communication between systems affecting availability, it shut the data center down for a while, okay? Was it malicious versus unintentional? Unsure. But here's the unintentional, and this is what's in the blog, the probability of occurrence, without numbers, but just general. The probability of a voltage dip, you know, from your primary electric carrier is low. Probability of the data center being affected by the voltage dip, in other words, all of its backup power not working as it should, very low. The probability of a chiller motor or a chiller system going down, very low. The probability of five, all five chillers 
going out at the same time, unbelievably low. The probability of all five chiller motors going out exactly when you had the voltage dip, beyond extremely low. The flip is you start looking at something like Volt Typhoon with the question, was it? Now, what I can tell you and what the blog is about, was there a control system cyber incident? Absolutely. Now, when you looked up what the data center operator said they were going to do, they're going to contact their OEM supplier. They're not, did not set up any type of cyber incident response. Because what was it? It was viewed as, hey, it's a mechanical problem. If it doesn't look like it's an OT network issue, it doesn't count. Hey, everybody. Derek Harp here. And I just want to take a brief moment to thank three companies that make this podcast series possible. The first company is Waterfall Security Solutions. They led the charge this year for the podcast, and they specifically sponsored it from their podcast, the Industrial Security Podcast. So check that out. That's a great linkage to an entire other series of over 100 episodes. They had their anniversary recently focused on control system cybersecurity. And they were supported this year by KPMG and Fortinet. We could not do this without them. These companies not only have supported this podcast series this year, but they supported CSA since its very early days eight years ago. And we're entirely grateful to the teams and dedicated professionals at Waterfall Security Solutions, KPMG and Fortinet. I know some plant operators, just to challenge you a little bit, that are definitely OT people that say, not a cyber incident. They claim what you just said. And it wasn't security people. It was the person running the plant saying, no, just a plant thing. So I'm not sure who gets to claim that something is It's well, it, By the way, it's both. So if someone wants to read that blog article that you're going to publish soon, how do they find it? Uh, it'll be Control Global, and it'll also be on my LinkedIn site. And I may twist this and modify it some because there's some magazines that I think will be interested in this. But part of this is the training of this information is out there, but it's how do you train people to think and look? I mean, I'll give you another example. I think you probably know what a water hammer is. I think, you know, maybe a lot of people don't. But a water hammer is basically a pressure change that results in this big pressure gradient that can physically damage piping or other pieces of equipment, turn it into spaghetti, okay? Literally, it was either two weeks before or two weeks after Oldsmar. And you realize Oldsmar was not a cyber hack. It was purely employee error, basically put in the wrong values and the SCADA system wasn't smart enough to say, wait a minute, there are too many zeros there. It accepted it. Well, I forget which side of Old Smart it was, but there was a water utility that in the span of three or four days had three or four different water hammers caused by the SCADA system for that water utility. A water hammer isn't supposed to happen, but once maybe every 20 or 50 years. I mean, something is drastically wrong. I found it. It happened to have been, it was just there. It was from a local utility. It was just from a local newspaper article. 
I mean, these things are all over. They're just not identified as cyber because to the vast majority of the world, and that includes all of the decision makers in Washington, a cyber incident must be a compromise of an internet protocol network. Well, it doesn't have to be. And like I say, our adversaries are, you know, think about the NERC SIPs. The NERC SIPs tell you what is out of scope. It's public. The adversaries know where we're not looking. And we're trying to tell people how secure the grid is. All of these sensor issues we've been talking about are out of scope for NERC SIP. Basically, anything under that electronic security perimeter, which is where you have your firewalls, routers, switches, in other words, the networks, the IP networks, everything under them is out of scope. In other words, where the reliability and the actual safety of the grid is, isn't there something wrong with a statement like that? And it's not any better with water or with oil, gas, or chemicals, or anything else. Because can of the, look at, the details of that incident? Or technically, like, can you give an example of something that would be not, wouldn't have, wouldn't fall in that scope? Yeah, you, what I mentioned before, with the, uh, for example, you know, with the EMI causing that, you know, a 36-inch pipeline to explode. You know, I can give you, you know, you look at San Bruno, or I can keep going. Well, it makes sense to me now, you're, the number of incidents you've talked about with me before, the way you've defined it. And that's essential is understanding your definition. It's the broadest, it's the broadest definition. All the different, you know, threats aren't all, you know, there's many different types of, from many different kinds of actors of many different motivations, including innocent motivations. And if you add them all up, uh, these are, these are threats to that infrastructure, uh, regardless of what the cause was or who and, was behind it. And it's growing exponentially because there's more and more desire to connect more and more things. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, right? We're on an index of, of more, oh, yeah, no. more attacks said every that. day, right? Yeah. What's the recipe for success? I mean, um, if it's been one, forever and we've been connected and we have more problems than ever and more... So, but here's the issue. Ever. We need to have both a short-term and a long-term solution. The short-term is we need to get the right training. You know, I was on literally, uh, Sandia had a bio cybersecurity session this morning, which was right before I got on with you. And there's training out there, but it's not for the engineers or to take them down to this lowest level of what's going on. Okay. We need to have the training leads to the right policies and procedures. Because what's happening is, we're not going to get secure field devices really for the next 10 to 15 years. And you're talking and about they, originally equipped, originally made, manufactured, secure by design. Secure by out. design, okay. Yeah. And installed in enough quantity to make a difference. Yeah. Because again, think about this. In our world, you're not going to replace something that works well, because somebody says it's not secure. You're going to replace oh, it yeah. when it, either it breaks, 
it's obsolete and you just can't get a particular part or for other regulatory. In other words, that device can't help you meet an EPA, you know, environmental requirement. So you'll replace it because you've got to meet that. Okay. But if it's not that, you're not going to replace it. Not too expensive, especially things that were high, high capex, and then let's get to low opex if we can. Not going to replace all that stuff until you have no. to. You're forced to. So, so clearly, new stuff, greenfield environments, new builds, new equipment. There's a, there's a, let's say, a better future for those those devices and networks. But as you know, we're facing with all this stuff well, that is no, old. Let me give you, let me give you one other. Where are we today? I I put this out as a blog too. I went to four of our largest process sensor vendors in the world. We also have to be four of our largest control system suppliers in the world. You know all, but I'm not going to give a name. I went to their 2023 spec sheets for a pressure transmitter. Okay. These spec sheets are 70 to 100 pages. This is more than just, hey, here's the serial number, whatever. Okay. And I did a word search on the following word, cyber, security, encryption, authentication, and password. Would you believe not one of those words was used even once? This is in the 2023 spec sheet. Then I did another. I did a word search on the word remote. The word remote was used at least 20 times in each spec sheet which means all of these devices are remotely accessible with absolutely no security or authentication at all. And you have all of these people talking about zero trust and multi-factor authentication. This is a 2023 spec sheets. What do you Here's think the other is the secret to getting, them, get to getting said manufacturer to change? Here's the point. Each of these four vendors have a major cybersecurity organization. The VP, you know, engineering for that, those products go to their customers or the engineers and say, what do you want? And they tell them. So you're getting equipment from there where security is never mentioned to this day. Now, each of those companies has a security organization. And what are they working on? They're working on the network. But if like I say, at the transmitter itself, it's got nothing, but it has built-in remote access. By the time it gets to the security people, it's too late. These specs... What's the remote access communication running over? Could be anything. It could be wireless. In other words, it could be, you know, a lot of them will have their own internal networks, or you could be using the vendor's internal network, you know, it could be any number of things, okay? It could be satellite communications. It could be anything, because don't forget some of this place, some of these places are remote as can be, okay? But the point I'm getting at is that spec sheet went out with the logo of that corporation approved by the vice president of the corporation. The security people over here have no idea that that's, that even exists. This is a oh. 2023 
That's a pretty uh, pretty dire report card you're giving the the manufacturers. I mean, so back to how do we make progress according to your you know your view of this, which is pretty dire. How do we get the out? The only of it? way is to get you know number one. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but you know there's a particular individual in our industry who has lots and lots of credibility and goes to all of these you know board level meetings, and all he's selling is. OT network monitoring because he doesn't believe that sensors are an issue. And what do the boards do? The boards believe them. You know, I was an expert witness, I think twice now. And um, I'm not trying to make a pitch to be that, but I certainly could because there is no reason in 2023 we're having this discussion. I mean, you know, I even brought this up to CISA, I had a phone call with them because they were saying, hey, we just had this meeting on um, supply chain. And I told them this story. They were totally just blown away because their meeting with the cybersecurity leads and the cybersecurity leads are telling them they're doing all of this good stuff, which they are. This is not to say they're not. But they're not doing that within the design of, like I say, a motor or a drive or a sensor. You know, good, bad, or indifferent. These companies are like, you know, multi-individual companies under one brand name. And you think because you got to the brand name, everybody's done it. Sure. And... Like I say, it blew my mind when I went through this little exercise because we had identified this in our ISA 8409 exercise. And an engineer at the uh, end of 2001 wrote a LinkedIn article that he was, you know, um, implementing 3,000 plus brand new smart transmitters. And there were no passwords. And I'm just telling you, each time I'm getting validation independently that this is what's really going on. But you go talk to the heads of security from these vendors, and they will give you a completely different story. So do you, what, according to this view, what, what fixes this? It sounds like, it sounds in a way like a, Unless some catalyst is introduced, it stays this way. Too much friction and too many different desires, viewpoints, saving money, efficiency. Yeah, well, you know, it's, and by the way, you know, this has been 23 years, 24 years. It's not like this just happened. And they keep talking. And by the way, the same thing is going on within the government. You go look at the functional requirements that have been put out by, say, DOD. This stuff isn't addressed there. This is not just a, hey, let's save money. You don't have the right people. There isn't the right training. The bottom line is things got, here's the history. 9-10, considering today's 9-11. On 9-10, 2001, I was in Houston for the big ISA conference. And we had a couple of panel sessions. And we had... Oil, gas, chemicals, water, electric. Delco was there from automotive. 
We had one of the biggest consumer packaged goods companies in the world there. We had a dog food manufacturer there. Because on 910, cyber was business. If the control systems don't work, you can't make anything. If the control systems work better, you make more money. That was 910. 9-11, I couldn't get home. You know, nor could most everybody. Yeah. Well, I don't have a date and I don't have a document. But cybersecurity was made national security. And when that happened, cyber was yanked from every engineering organization everywhere and given to IT. You know, Gartner hadn't had a chance to come up with the OT name. Okay. Well, two things happened. The engineers were left behind as well as the engineering management. Number two, to IT, cyber was the internet protocol network and the native IP devices. What's that? Firewalls, switches, routers, hubs. Then wasn't big then, but cell phones, tablets, you name it. What was not there? What fell off the turnip truck? Sensors, actuators, drives, all of the engineering stuff got left behind, which is why to this day, there is no cybersecurity. They're not viewed as native IP devices because they're not. Now, until the senior executives in the government, in the, in the manufacturers, in the end users, or until, I'm going to use the name, the Moody's or others of the world like that, and the insurance companies, and others come down and say, we're not going to accept this risk. Things are going to keep going the way they are. My head hurts. I can't change it on my own. I mean, here's what's amazing. I'm watching your eyes because we're doing this. You've been involved in this, quote unquote, forever. Yet I'm telling you things you haven't heard. I can see from your eyes. It's like, how can that be? This is what happens with me all the time. I'm meeting with really smart people. Yet this is new. How can it be new? Rhetorical question. Are there solutions that anybody... Yeah. Again, I go short-term, long-term. Yeah. Because don't forget, we have equipment that's going to be there for the next 10 years, which means we need to have the right training, which we do not today. We need to be, and coming out of training would be the right policies and procedures for how do you live with these th this insecurable device. There are technologies like, and I'm not mentioning names of vendors, where you can monitor the physics of the sensors. Because when you're down at that level, you can't hack them because you can't hack physics. Okay. That's the funny part. That's where there's a solution for the control system world that IT doesn't have. We can get to ground truth. There is some really neat cloaking technology that's out there. Again, I don't want to mention names. You know, if somebody wants to talk to me offline, that's fine, but not, not here. There are things possibly like, uh, playing games with some of the UPSs. So there are things we can do in the short term, and some of them are going to be paying big, big dividends because they will help the reliability, which is 
money every hour of every day. The long term is building secure field devices, which also means having the right chips and everything else associated with it. That's five, 10, maybe 15 years away. But what we can't do is keep going what we're doing because this, I won't even say old stuff. I just told you the 2023 spec sheets. That's what's still going out there. We have to be able to live with that for the next 10 years. If there were truly, you know, the rip and replace, if we truly honestly had replace, then it's shame on you if you don't want to spend the money. We don't have replace. We have, like I say, sensor monitoring and cloaking that can help. But what they're doing is trying to make, you know, lemonade out of lemons. You're talking about totally insecure systems. What can we do to live with them? And by the way, there's some additional benefits with both of those. But that's what it is. And people are very unhappy with my story because they're looking for the silver bullet. And you have all of these people who are telling them they have the silver bullet. And it's like, you know, this, this is what you got. You know, you're, you're getting toward having Alzheimer's. Once you get Alzheimer's, you don't have a way to reverse it. We're not at Alzheimer's yet. We can't reverse it, but we can live with it. But if you don't do it, like with the, you know, what happened, like with the data center, that's like having Alzheimer's at that point in time. You know, part of what the recommendations were that was, well, gee, we need more automation. It was the automation that got you. And they're going, we need more people on staff. Well, these are sensor signals that operate automatically and instantaneously. You can have an army there. It's not going to do anything. Well, uh, I'm not uh, <laughs> I'm not surprised. I know your view on these things. It's a dire prognosis. Well, and, it doesn't uh, have to be. That My point is, we can live with what we've got. We can even turn it into a money-making machine for the end users, okay? We we didn't, I'm, I want to just finish with this. This was a real case, okay? This was done last February, and it wasn't cyber. This was a billion-dollar manufacturing facility. And what happened was the Windows display said everything was fine. The plant was uncomfortable thinking that it wasn't as productive as it should have been. So they decided to do a test case. They took one line in this billion dollar facility. This line had 16 sensors, pressure, temperature, flow, motor amperage, vibration, and valve position. That's the whole world. There's absolutely nothing unique about what I just said, okay? And what they did is they took some technology, and I'm not going to name names, that looked at the raw 4 to 20 milliamp current values, in other words, the physics. And they did it offline from the OT network, which meant that it couldn't be hacked. Okay? You can't hack the physics, and by being offline, you can't get to where they're doing the machine learning and the analysis. Okay, and this was using machine learning. 
And what they found that blew everybody's mind, and again, what I'm telling you is an article that we have in the November 2022 issue of IEEE Computer Magazine. But the first thing we found that blew everybody's mind was more than half of the sensors were either inoperable or out of calibration, and that Windows HMI didn't show any of it. Then they went to the main feed pumps, which was critical to the productivity. And Windows said everything was fine. When they started looking at the raw data, da -da 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 -da, what they found were the pumps were having real problems, but it was occurring in seconds to less than a minute. It was too fast for Windows to see. We're spending all of this money trying to secure Windows, which can't even tell us what's going on. Then, and this is part of the reason it's in the IEEE magazine, we did a very detailed cost impact analysis. And what we found was that the sensors and the pumps were contributing a 3% hit on net productivity in this billion dollar facility. Now, that's real money. This is unlike everything you hear from it. Here is a real ROI. And oh, by the way, cyber comes along for the ride. The other thing about this project that was so neat, it was called a productivity project, which meant there was buy-in from corporate, plant management, all of the plant staff and cyber people were there. If it would have been called cybersecurity, bless you, none of the staff or none of the engineering plant or corporate staff would have been there. Isn't that something? I like your argument about things that could return on investment and do something. That's the point. A very powerful way forward for any solution. That's my, this is the whole issue. When you're down at the sensors, the sensors are the starting point for everything. Your fingers. This is what goes to the brain. The brain acts on what the fingers, eyes, ears, nose tells it. So if you have better knowledge of what your fingers and nose and eyes are doing, the brain will give you a better result. It's just that simple, okay? Well, what we've done is ignored that, gone directly to the brain and said, whatever the brain says must be true. Well, the bad guys know, gee, if I get to the brain, I can cause all of this problem. Here, because this is the starting point, if you have a better temperature or pressure or flow measurement that's directly contributes to improvement in productivity, reliability, this is literally online predictive maintenance. That's bottom line affecting stuff. Everything. And cyber comes along for the ride because guess what? You're providing an, if you will, authenticated, correct input into the networks. So everything downstream benefits, everything, not just cyber, everything. When you're talking IT, you divorce it because IT is just data. Our world is, 90% of our world is the operation of that facility, not, not the networks. But we're letting the, the you know, the, 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 tail wag the dog. You do this, 
you get the engineering or the management staff on board and you actually will be making money while in the same time you're reducing all of those costs. Anyways, wrap up. Number one, thank you for allowing me to be on. Number two, treat control system cybersecurity with the first words, control system. Stop trying to use cybersecurity of because that allows it to become something different than it is. So you treat that, it's holistic. It's holistic medicine. You do it that way, everybody benefits. It's going to take, it's a major culture change and I need your help. We have to get both sides to understand both sides will benefit. It's not one or the other. And we do have a path forward. But only if you treat it like it is, like a control system. That's also why the the term OT has hurt us. Treat it like it's supposed to be. These are control systems. Act like it. Have the network security people providing their expertise, but not, they should not, not be driving the car. Well, I'm just wrapping up with Joe Weiss. It is a, uh, a dire prognosis based on decades of work, uh, in this, uh, in this space, but with some hope for the future, especially with devices, hopefully being engineered and created some places uh, better than their predecessor uh, versions with more security in mind. We need more of that. We know that. And that the future implementations can be better than they are today. And in the meantime, the stuff we've already, that we're stuck with, we've got some challenges. Joe, thank you for coming on and for sharing this. And thank you for, you know, unquestioning decades of, uh, of uh, passionate research and uh, scholarship and speaking and teaching and instructing and, uh, testifying. I mean, you've, you've, you've been there and done, done all those things and continue to do all those. So thank you for all of that on, on, uh, on all our behalves. Eric, thank you. All right. Take care and be well. Talk to you again you soon. Too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of the Control System Cybersecurity Association International, or as we call it, just CSEC. CSEC is a 501c6 nonprofit workforce development association dedicated to helping grow, support, and sustain the professionals charged with the cybersecurity of control systems. We're specifically talking about those systems that have pumps and valves and actuators, real cyber to physical moving parts, and control nearly every aspect of our modern connected industries. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. It is my hope you find it inspirational or motivating or revealing or informative, and perhaps at times even a little entertaining. Take care and be well.